Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, last book of the Old Testament. It's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 13 through 18, which will conclude chapter 3. This will be the second to last. We've been going through through the book of Malachi, verse by verse, for uh, five or six weeks now. And we do that so that we understand what God wants us to know and not just what jumps out at us. Sometimes when, when preachers and Christians look at the Bible, they look at the verses that jump out at them. That's a very subjective way of reading the Bible. What we're trying to do is teach ourselves and others. You start and you kind of work your way through and follow God's plan, follow God's method of delivery. And so week after week, we just go one verse, one paragraph after the other. So now we're in verse 13. The book of Malachi is a warning from God to his people to obey and follow him. And a call for repentance and a call for awareness of judgment. So read with me verse 13. God is speaking. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up, they even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, I will spare them, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Do you remember the fairy tales and the stories you watched as a kid or that you read to your kids or that you watch now because you still like them? You know, one of the clearest distinctions between kid stories and adult stories is that in kid stories, the bad people look bad and the good people look good. And though that may be confusing sometimes in the middle of the story where, the, where they conceal themselves, in the end, you know there's good people and there's bad people. And it's so refreshing and it's so informative and just helpful to see that in stories and it draws us to it. There's the wicked witch of the West. And then there's good witch Glinda. And you know which side you're supposed to be on. Sleeping Beauty. There's Prince Philip. And then there's Maleficent, the dragon. And you know which side you're supposed to be on. And if you were there, you would say it's clear who's right and who's wrong. But as you get older, you realize that's not the way the world is. And sometimes you're not sure who's right, who's wrong, and you're not even sure which side you're on. That's where the Bible comes in. The Bible shows us God's perspective. And for God, it's as clear what's right and wrong on this earth as it is to us in a children's story. So God sees all and knows all and discerns all. He knows good from evil, and he tells us how to discern it. So in this passage, 
they ask the question, is God involved in this world? We're involved in this world, but is God? And how do we interpret what we see in this world when we can't see God? And so we're going to see this in this prophecy, in this word from God. He makes it clear. We're going to see three things. There's two kinds of people in this world, good and evil. There's two kinds of responses from God to those people. And there's two kinds of promises from God. So he lays it out for us, as simple as a fairy tale. There's two kinds of people, good people and bad people. And God responds in two ways. And God makes two kinds of promises. So let's look what it says. Two kinds of people. Wicked and righteous. Good and evil. Bad people, good people. White hats and black hats. But if you know anything about this world, it doesn't seem that way, does it? Sometimes the good people turn out to be bad. Or sometimes they're good and bad. So what does God do? He shows his perspective. So first of all, what is a wicked person? What is a bad person? In this passage, he shows that a bad person, a wicked person, an evil person, is someone who does not fear God or serve him. So he tells us, here's an absolute. If someone does not fear God, does not respect and worship God, and does not serve him, that's a bad person. And the reverse is true. A good person is someone who does fear God, who does serve him. So what? how do you identify bad people? The wicked. He tells us their behavior here. First of all, in verse 15, he says, we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness, tempt God, outright reject God. They just say, I don't care what God says. I don't think God even exists. If he does exist, doesn't matter. That's easily to see, that's easy to see that that person does not care about God, does not fear God, does not serve him. They just upfront say, who cares what God thinks? I only care what I think. Outright wickedness. But is that really the problem that we have as Christians to determine good and evil? The people who say, I hate God? So God says, here's the real problem. The religious wicked. The religious people who are also bad people. And that's who he's really talking to. What does a religious wicked person look like? Well, first of all, they do religious things. They do things that look like they're serving God. That's what makes it hard to figure out. So look what he says here. Your words have been harsh against me, and you have spoken how? He says, you have said it's useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? We have kept his order. We have followed his rules. And that we have walked as mourners. The religious wicked try to follow what God says. They behave as a, they, they walk as mourners. That literally means they dress in black and they lament the bad things in the world. So you know someone's bad when they don't care if bad things happen, right? You're like, that's bad. So what they're saying is we do care about bad things. We do lament over evil. We do the right thing. We follow God. They're religious. They have rituals. They say, what's the problem? We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. 
this is the biggest danger to people who believe in God but are wicked, is that you will think that because you do the right thing, you do the rituals, and you have the right attitudes, that you're now a good person. How do you become a good person? Well, you just have to do enough right things, and you become good. Just go to church enough, and you're a good person. Be upset about the right things, and you're a good person. Your behavior sort of vindicates you. But look what they did. The same people who said they were doing the right thing, who said, we are walking in his ordinances, we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts, we serve God, but, you see, your behavior does not indicate what your heart is, because you can deceive yourself and you can deceive others. No one sees all of you. They don't see all of your behavior even. So what's their behavior here that God is revealing? He said, yeah, you kept the rules, you tried to, but why did you keep them? You see, they, they brought harsh words against God. And what was, the, what was their harsh words? We did what you said, and we didn't get anything for it. We obeyed. We followed your ordinances. We walked as mourners. We cared about the right things. But they're getting blessed, and we're not. They're getting whatever they want, and we're suffering. In other words, God, we did what you said, now give us what we want. Religious wicked use God. They use the right things to manipulate. And they say, if I do what's right, you must give me what I want. It's a mercenary spirit. I'll fight for you if you pay me. I'll go to church if you bless me. I'll obey you if you give me what I want. That's wicked. You don't fear God. If you feared God, you wouldn't require him to give you what you wanted. You don't serve God, you serve yourself. And you feel, and we often feel, that serving God is a means to an end to get what we want. So in the end, we're serving ourselves. They said, it is useless to serve God. It's, what's the point? He doesn't give me what I want. I went to church every Sunday for 10 years and prayed every time. What did God do for me? I gave money every time, and I'm still struggling. What's the point? I did what the Bible says, and my marriage still fell apart. What's the point? That's a mercenary spirit. That's God. I'll do what you say if. And the minute I don't get what I want, I'm done. You ever know a mercenary that works for free? Nope. The minute you stop paying them, they stop working. So what they're saying is God will work for you as long as you keep us satisfied. But when, when you're not paying us, what's the point of working? So their wickedness is revealed in the way they're obeying God. Obeying God to get things from God. It's like an ATM machine. You know you obey the ATM machine? You do exactly what it tells you. Insert your card now. Remove your card. Oh, you have a chip. Reinsert your card and leave it there. Spanish or English? Which, remove your card now. Take the money. 
and you'll do exactly what it says because you're going to get money out of it. But if someone says, it has, you have to do what it said, but you don't actually get anything out of it, what's the point? So we treat God like an ATM. Tell me what to do. Give me the list so I can get the money. And they said, but we didn't get the money. We wasted our time. And they said, in fact, it's better to do what we wanted the whole time because look at the wicked. The proud, we now call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. In fact, not obeying God gets you more blessings. They even tempt God and go free. Have you ever seen anybody in this world do something terrible and not get any punishment for it? Even succeed because of it? So why don't we all do that? They wanted stuff for themselves, and they trusted in themselves to discern what that, how to get it. They were confident that what they saw with their eyes was the way the world was. They looked and they said, from my experience, I've seen how these people behave, and I've seen the results. Therefore, that's the way the world is. Do you see the arrogance? You finally figured out how the world works all by yourself. After thousands of years of people working at this, you know. And God says, you don't know anything. You know only as much as you can handle. And when you're guided and driven by self-interest, you interpret the world that way. So when God doesn't do what you want, things are wrong. But when God does do what you want, things are okay. You see the, 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 the factor in both of those? What you want. And so we trust ourselves. And we say, look at the wicked. Look at the evil in this world. It's working out for them. But only based on what we can see. And God is saying, you are only human. You only see a tiny, tiny little picture. Let me tell you the big picture. You see, the wicked work for God, but don't love God. There's no love for God. There's only service. They don't obey him because they love him. They don't obey him because they love his word. They obey him because they need something. But what's the righteous do? Psalm 119 says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. In other words, they love the law for itself. Whether they get anything from God or not. The law is the blessing. The word is the blessing. To know the mind of God is the blessing. So that David, he says, I love your law, whether I'm blessed with money or not. How sweet are your words, not your stuff. You see, when you love God, you love his words, whether you get financial gain or relationship gain or not. That's the difference. So the righteous, what do the righteous do? How do you identify the righteous? Look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Now, that's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? It's not those who feared the Lord obeyed, did right. Here's how you can identify the righteous. 
They gather together to encourage one another. They get together and they say, we all love God. Let's help each other love God. They gathered together and they spoke to one another. Now, why would they need to speak to one another? What did they not know? Or what did they need someone else to tell them? That those who tempt God do not go free. That it is profitable to serve the Lord. Because the world wasn't telling them that. Their eyes were not telling them that. So they needed other Christians, other believers in God, to say, here's how it is. Because no one else is going to tell you that. If you trust your own perception, you'll never see the truth. So you need other people who have seen God's perspective to tell you the truth. And that happens only when you gather together. You see, the assembly of the church is built into humanity from the beginning. God met with Adam and Eve. The nation of Israel gathered. The church gathers. When we get to heaven, we'll gather. Because like-minded people who love the same thing get together to talk about it. We all know that. When you love something, you talk about it. And when you find somebody else who loves it, that's a party. So those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. They gathered to worship. It says, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, and the Lord listened and heard them. They were there not to talk about themselves, talk about God. Now, this is a realistic passage. This isn't some sort of, you know, oh, that's nice. No, because they looked around at their world and it was terrible. The context of this passage was not good. They were suffering. Their lands were destroyed. They'd been captured. They'd been brought back. So they had to look at God to find joy. Because you can't look around to find joy. So they got together to meditate and to worship God. That's what the righteous do. They focused on God, not the world. That's what the worship service is about. We call to worship away from the world to God, not to each other. Because if you notice that even in a church, people will discourage you. If you look at them too much, they let you down. So the point of the service is not really to spend a lot of time looking at each other. It's together to look at God. But you know what else they're doing? They're waiting. They're waiting. Nothing's happened yet. They gathered together to speak to one another. The Lord listened, but nothing happened. To be a follower of God is to wait. You see, the wicked want it now. I serve God, give me the results. But a Christian, a follower who fears God, waits on the Lord. And you may wait your whole life. That's what it means to fear God and serve him, that you wait for him to act. And the realistic nature of it is that you may wait your whole life and finally see it after you die. That's what Christianity promises us. That's what the Bible promises us, is that it will work out, but maybe not till after you die. But it will work out. And so we wait. What do we wait for? The next world. This world, no, it's not going to work out. Maybe for a little while, but eventually it's not. But the next world will work out. Charles Octavius Booth, who's an African-American pastor who founded Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, where Dr. King would later pastor. In 1887, he said, in heaven, 
what we're waiting for. There's nothing to defile, nothing to hinder, nothing to mar, nothing to grieve, nothing to disturb, nothing to distress, nothing to worry, nothing to give pain, nothing to cause fear, no danger of falling. There's no need of candle, of lamp, of stars, of moon, of sun to give light, for there is no night there, none, because God and the Lamb are there, and because the glory of God does, does eternally light up that happy land. So the righteous wait for it. That happy land where God is in complete control and the will of God is carried out. To be a Christian is to wait for the kingdom. And if you don't know that, you're going to live a life of disappointment. You're going to expect church to give you something that only God can give you in the next life. You're going to expect rewards on this earth that were never given promise to you. But to wait for heaven, you'll never be let down if you trust God. So those are the two people. Those who look out for themselves and those who wait on the Lord. And what's God's response to them? Well, here's his response to the wicked. He confronts them. He said, your words have been harsh against me. Now, being confronted by God seems like a terrible thing, but it's actually grace. God didn't need to come to them. They left God. So when God confronts them, he sort of runs in front of them and stands in front of them and says, hey, pay attention. The grace of God confronts, but also exposes. God says, you're wrong. And they say, no, we're not. What are you talking about? And God says, I'll tell you exactly what, you're t- what I'm talking about. When God speaks, he exposes. Do you know who you are? You are exactly who God says you are. And you'll never know who you are until you listen to God. And where does God speak? Through his prophet. So God exposes their wickedness. They didn't think they were wicked. Now, see, here's the application. Do you think you're a bad person? doesn't really matter, though, does it? Because look at their response. What have we spoken against you? Is that your response? I'm not doing anything wrong. Your heart will deceive you, but God won't. So if you want to know who you are, don't look in the mirror. Don't ask other people. Go to God. And God will show you who you are, and it's not going to be pretty. But that's what God does. He confronts and exposes the wicked. But look how he responds to the righteous. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And how did God respond? He listened. He listened to them. If you fear God, you will always have God's ear. You always have his attention. God never ignores his people. Never. There's not a thing in the world that his people can do that would cause him to stop listening. He always pays attention to his people. They spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. Notice that used two words. He didn't just acknowledge their existence. He heard what they were saying. He understood and listened and focused on them. The God of heaven who created everything, who is perfect and holy stooped down 
and listen to his people. And he remembers them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. He didn't just listen and moved on. He said, what were you saying? Hold on a second. Let me write that down. God got a book out and said, I don't forget anything, but so you know I don't forget, I'm going to write it in a book. A book of remembrance. Now, when God says remember, and when we say remember, it's not the same thing. When God remembers, he acts. He says, I'm going to remember to do something. Exodus chapter 2. We know the story of Exodus. The people are in captivity. They're in bondage. What do they need? They need someone to act on their behalf. So in Exodus chapter 2, the very beginning, so God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. But do you know what happened after that? He didn't just say, I get it, it's tough. The next thing that happens is that God destroys Egypt. So when God remembered his people, he got them out. So when it says here that a book of remembrance was written before him, that's God telling us that I didn't just hear you, I'm going to act for you. I didn't just pay attention, I'm going to make it happen. God responds to his people by paying attention to them, which is a blessing in itself, but he promises to act. And he gives two kinds of promises to, his, to the world. There's two kinds of people, the wicked and the righteous. There's two kinds of responses, confrontation or remembrance. And there's two kinds of promises. Now, the nature of a promise is that it hasn't happened yet. Remember the waiting? If it happened, there's no promise. A promise says it will happen. And the whole point of this text, and really the whole point of Christianity, is that we have a promise that will be fulfilled in the future. When? They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them. The book of Malachi is about the coming day of the Lord. It says before, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? The world's messed up, but one day it won't. God is coming back and he makes some promises on his return. When that day comes, here's what's going to happen. As sure as God is, this will happen. Number one, the wicked will be revealed publicly. You know, there's a lot of wicked people in this world that are hiding, that have passed themselves off as righteous. That won't always be the way it is. There are pastors out there pastoring churches and preaching to people who are wicked, and no one knows it. But Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me in that day, the day that Malachi is talking about, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, preached many sermons, gave many offerings, did many works? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I, never, I don't remember you. I didn't hear you. Who are you again? Depart from me. I don't know who you are. You who practice lawlessness. You see, on that day, the truth will be revealed. And God has a book of remembrance, and he remembers everybody in it. But if you're not in it, God doesn't know who you are. 
the wicked, both those who are openly wicked and those who are secretly wicked, will be publicly revealed, and they will be judged according to their works. The text that we read this morning, two books will be open. They will be judged according to their works. Everything you're doing is being written down in a book, and you're going to be judged according to it. And the wicked will stand before God and get exactly what they deserve. Everybody who does evil will get what they deserve. Whether it's a shooter or whether it's a leader, they're getting what's coming to them. God promises that. They will be lost. They'll be forgotten. Johnny Cash does it this way. Well, you may throw your rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man. But as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark we brought to the light. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. To be forgotten by God? Nothing's worse than that. To be forgotten and cast away, lost. But what about the righteous? You see, there's two kinds of promises. That's who, what he promises for those who rebel. What does he promise to those who fear him? A treasured status. He said, they, they who are in the book shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. A treasured possession. If your house were to catch on fire, aren't there some things that you would grab? Family gets out, but there's a few more things you want to get, don't you? There's, a, there's a, a list, and there's something at the top of that list. That's your treasured possession. When God comes to judge, he's going to make his people his treasured possession. Just like he said in Exodus 19, when he promises that he would make Israel a special nation. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice, be righteous, keep my commandments, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Ephesians 1, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase possession. That's a promise God makes to his people. You're at the top of the list. The world's going to burn, but you're getting out. I'll make sure of it. God promises that his people will get out. They'll be spared. He says, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. God says, you're going to be like a son to me who never disappointed me, who never let me down. So, of course, I'll spare you. Vindicated. Then you shall discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. All the trappings will be taken away. And you, the things that you've done right, the suffering that you've had at the hands of the wicked, people will see that. They'll be discerning. But if there's two kinds of people, you have to ask yourself, which kind of person are you? Are you wicked or are you righteous? Because surely the promises to the wicked are not what you want. You want the promise to the righteous. But are you the righteous? Who are they? Well, here's the bad news. 
Romans chapter 3, the Bible says, There is none righteous. No, not one. There are none who, who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together, together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What just happened? All of these great promises of God's attention and care, then the Bible turns around and says, but no one makes a standard. Well, what's the point of promising something that no one can meet? This isn't good news. Yeah, it's great that the righteous will be spared and that the righteous will be a treasured possession, but no one's righteous. Now what? If we're not righteous, then there's only one other option that's wicked. And we get the promises to the wicked. The book of works versus the book of life. He opened up the book and judged them according to their works, and they were unrighteous. But you know there's a second book. It's not a book of works. It's a book of life. There is one who is righteous. The true son of Israel. The faithful servant. The son who never let his father down. Christ is righteous. And Christ came down for the wicked. Christ will get what's coming to him. The promise that God made to the righteous, Christ will get that. A treasured possession, spared, lifted up, and the wicked will get what's coming to them. So when you stand before God, which book will be opened for you? The book of the stuff you did or the other book of the stuff you didn't do? You see, if the book of what you did is opened, you're doomed. You want to be in the other book, the book of remembrance, not of your deeds. See, the book of remembrance is not what they did. It's who they are. So the book that is in the other category is the book of life. It's called the Lamb's book of life. And you know whose name's on the front of that? Jesus. And everything inside the book that has Jesus' name on it is good, is righteous. So if you can get your name in that book, you get what Jesus gets. You are righteous, not because of your works, but because of who you are. So the Bible calls us to choose between two ways, the way of works or the way of Christ. To be judged by what you do or to be judged by what, by what Christ did. And how do you get into that book of life? You can't work your way into it. You can't buy your way into it. God has to put you in there. And what's the condition to get into the book of life where God doesn't judge you by what you did? One condition, faith. That's it. Faith in Christ brings you into union with Christ. And once you get Christ's name, you get Christ's blessings. God will never forget Christ. He'll never forget his only begotten son. And if you're with Christ, he'll never forget you. We live by faith. Not just a lifestyle, but we actually live and not die. Romans chapter 3 says, But now the righteousness of God, with all the promises, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God 
through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all who will be saved are through Christ. That's it. You don't need to tithe. You don't need to come to church. You don't need to be a good person. All you need to do is give up all your identities and take Christ. Turn from everything. Trust Christ. Paul says, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. Can you do that? You can't have both. You can't have this world and Christ. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You can be a righteous person, but only through Christ. This is the choice between the wicked and the righteous, between those who try and those who trust. Ask yourself, which book are you in? The book of works or the book of Christ? What are you trusting? You or God? Who's going to save you in the end? Yourself or Christ? Turn from this world and turn to Christ. Let's pray.